0: Public health is a population-based field of science focused on preventing disease and promoting health. Every week, we will be engaging in interactive discussions and analyses of the latest public health issues affecting you and your communities all around the world. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. The social determinants of health is a very important concept that guides the work of public health. In the previous episode, we discussed some of the major causes of the causes, such as education, income, food, and housing security, with our guest, Linda Holbrook, a Canadian public health professional based in Calgary, Alberta. She remains with us in this episode to narrow our focus on examining racism as a social determinant of health and the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on racialized and marginalized populations. This is where we left off in the conversation.
1: Having brought up the idea of a racial discrimination as a social determinant of health, I think it'd be a good time for us to maybe transition the discussion and look at in the context of the current COVID-19 pandemic, and using that as almost a case study to see how certain populations, you know, as we've seen with the with the data that's been published, are at much higher risks to COVID nineteen exposure, infection, and severe outcomes, and often even death, right? And so, having explored and provided an introduction to the social determinants, maybe we can combine a discussion with COVID nineteen and see how the social determinants of health have been affecting the, the pandemic.
2: I was going to bring up this report that I saw from Public Health Ontario, and mm-hmm. they highlighted some key learnings or takeaways uh, so far of COVID-19 and how they inter- how COVID intersects with the social determinants. And I thought it was like fascinating because mm-hmm. I have yet to see this type of information being published. Mm-hmm. And they highlighted two key areas where social determinants impact covid and vice versa and that's in the risk of exposure and in the risk of outcome like the severity of the disease Mm -hmm. and um yeah i thought it was really fascinating because for example you know we we keep you know praising our essential workers for going out while um others are have that that privilege of working from home and and this report was showing that there are certain populations who are overrepresented amongst these essential workers. Mm -hmm. And it falls along the lines of these social determinants. And so low-income populations, um, racialized people, and women, they listed these groups as being overrepresented as essential workers, which makes their risk of of getting COVID higher. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was interesting because if we miss that, then then we're missing a key aspect of who is getting sick and what.
3: And quite controversially, a few in Ontario... Maybe a month or two ago, and and the study Linda is referencing, or the it's like a collection of resources and other f- and, uh, facts from other studies, is that most of this data was is not even coming from Canada because Canada doesn't really actively collect a lot of race based data on a lot of different outcomes, right? And that therein lies the problem. It's you know how do you measure a problem if you don't collect information
1: about it? And I think Linda, that report that you're talking about published by Public Health Ontario. Another very interesting point that they brought up regarding racialized population is um, their ability to read, write, speak, communicate, or understand the official languages in Canada mm-hmm. and how, mm-hmm. how that significantly increases the risk of infection and severe outcomes. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at a lot of what the health officials are saying, it's, it's done it through English and French. Right. Mm-hmm. And things like, you, you know, what proper measures to take, um, physical distancing, hand hygiene, right. things like that. For example, if, if you're an individual who's, whether you're new to the country or just um, is still in the process of trying to learn or understand and comprehend the official languages, you, and you might not be able to um, guess take in this information, this important health information and preventative yeah. Um, measures that are being um, you know, told to you mm. and not not being able to as follow pretty strict health guidelines and and be able to protect yourself may, you know it makes sense that you will be exposed and ha- have a higher chance have a higher risk of being exposed to the virus you know it because you're not taking the proper precautions
2: absolutely yeah
3: yeah and even if you think of just English plain English alone the very first month or two it was called social distancing right? And then I guess maybe it was it the wrong connotations in that you must socially distance from your loved ones. But and then they switch to physical distancing. So if you're someone who maybe English is not your first language and you're not very fluent and it, you're wondering, okay, is there a different thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Um, when you search, if you go in Google, you know, a lot of resources are translated, you know, it's English and French. And then sometimes it goes into the other languages. If there's no resources there, when you, when you Google something in your own language you're not going to find anything and then you're not getting your your native tongue through you know communication such as the news radio and stuff like that so people might watch things oh why don't those people wear a mask in plain english the language about mask has been very confusing right where did they wear it is it effective don't wear non-surgical n95 so if you don't speak english how how are you going to even understand what they want you to do but another thing i wanted to bring up as well i just remembered is um, one of the risk factors for COVID-19, much like other kind of diseases of poverty, and I put tuberculosis in that as well, is that overcrowding and poor housing conditions. And the reason I bring this up is because I was watching a video with a senator in the United States, and he was saying something like, I think there was like one of the, those, those um, hearings, I guess, and he was, he was asking this, I don't know if it was, um, an MP, but why are black people um, dying more from covid 19 is it because they don't know how to wash their hands and sure you know that's inherently very racist a very racist comment mm-hmm. but what he needs to do is okay maybe maybe that is a case maybe black people don't wash their hands do they have access to clean drinking water do you know is is, is sanitizer and soap and stuff like that avor- affordable and accessible in their neighborhoods so the he went wrong because he didn't ask more questions on top of that remark. And I, I just want to emphasize that as well. It, you know, this is the epitome of what we we're talking about in the discussion. When you ask a question, is handwashing a problem? Why? Then you kind of go up the chain until you, you find a solution.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like people ask these questions to get the answers they want to hear and not pursue it further down the road so that they know. Okay, what's the cause of the cause? Okay, what's the cause of that cause? And then not have this preconceived notion that, oh, it's the race that's a problem. No,
3: which is which is why it might be. And Linda hasn't been really thinking. I'm still thinking about this. Which it really hasn't been thinking about. You know, reframing the way we kind of say race is a determinant of health because that in of itself becomes a problem. Okay race is a determinant of health because black or indigenous people don't know how to wash your hands and then you kind of it's easy to stop there okay what are the factors that determine someone's ability to have proper hand hygiene and respiratory etiquette and access to clean supplies etc right by framing it around race it's an easy place to stop and just say these people do this or these people do that
1: and the thing with even race is like you know, not specifying that it's, you know, the racial discrimination or the racism that's that's the determinant of health. And if you're only focusing on race, I think it's dangerous because people might try to start bringing up the you know, the very problematic discussion of you know racial, biological differences.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, and, and oh, we that's all know. a huge monster right there. Exactly. And we all know what kind of issues, you know, if you just look back in history. What kinds of atrocities or things have happened because people believe that, you know, there were inherent differences, right? Mm -hmm. And another point I wanted to follow on with um, our earlier discussion about um, racialized population, especially those who aren't able to speak the official languages. Mm -hmm. I think this is very dangerous in the COVID-19 context, because for me, I, I see it as a Prime opportunity for misinformation, mm. right? Because if, like, if if you don't have official sources passing on health messaging um, mm-hmm. in these languages, this allows for opportunities for you know individuals or organizations who are trying to profit off the pandemic and push who knows what kinds of remedies or solutions right. Right. and. Because it's not regulated, because it's not in the official languages, mm-hmm. it's, there's, it's a very gray area and a very dangerous issue that we've discussed in one of our previous episodes related mm-hmm. to health misinformation.
2: I've also seen, though, during this pandemic, a lot of um, areas for opportunity and then people mm-hmm. also rising to that challenge. So mm-hmm. I've seen people from various racialized communities translating um, sort of the official recommendations into their own languages mm. to then spread that information within their communities and so um, and I know our, our the point of this conversation is definitely to highlight what has happened so far that things that could be improved but not to also just to focus on that mm. I've seen people as well say okay look this is a problem in our communities what are we going to do about it mm. and so yeah I also just wanted to highlight I have seen Uh, People translating because that's not happening for them. So they're doing it themselves.
3: Mm, That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even I wanted to go back to the the example with black people in the States. And we use the States, the United States as as an example, because they have most of the comprehensive data. Canada is not known for collecting a lot of data on race. So we have to kind of defer to what we're seeing in the States. And another thing is, so you ask a question, and this goes back to ordering the determinants of health in terms of which ones are more kind of proximal and which ones are more distal, right? So housing, maybe, and to go back to what Linda said about risk of infection of COVID-19, housing might determine, determine your risk of infection because if you live in like the projects close proximity to a lot of your neighbors and stuff like that, you might be more likely to be exposed. So that's one element of it. So then you have to ask, okay, now that you, why are certain groups of people more likely to then die after having the disease, right? So, and that's a whole nother discussion, which doesn't, which is, and to go back to that point I made about that senator saying, black people don't wash your hands. That has nothing to do with why then after getting COVID-19 that black people die more than white people, right? So that leads us to the question of, okay, is, Is underlying medical conditions playing a role? Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, asthma. Why do a certain group of people tend to have the higher burden of disease for certain diseases? And then, you know, you keep asking questions until usually where you end up, which is why they say, uh, you know, advocacy for policy is the most effective at making changes, because usually a lot of these things are institutionalized.
2: To build off of your question, Gordon, um... We know with COVID that underlying conditions will increase the severity of the disease and, you know, people have worse health outcomes. And so when we look at who in the general population has existing underlying conditions, we can find those patterns again along the lines of social determinants. So racialized populations, uh, lower income, mm-hmm. even in Canada, we also have data to show uh within our indigenous populations uh, people who may not have housing security. And so like these, the information is there. Um, but then I guess, Gordon back to what you were saying. Does that reach policy level? Do we right. see changes at the institutional level?
3: Yeah. And another part of it too, is in these poorer neighborhoods, which tend to be overwhelmingly, you know, people of color living in those neighborhoods, Are the hospitals nearby? What's the capacity for those hospitals? Do they have enough ventilators for patients with severe COVID-19? And I'm almost flipping back over now. Is race a determinant of health? Because then if all things are equal, why are certain groups of people dying more? And it's because there's that implicit or policy level of institutional racism that not even in racism specifically, there's gender-based discrimination as well, where why women... You know tend to get paid less and then you know you notice that women who are of color do worse than even just women in general right so there's a racial discrimination built in within all these levels of social determinants of health
0: is there a simple answer for what's behind all of this is it multifactorial like how many questions do we have to ask to get to the true cause of everything
3: there is a simple answer and if i had to pinpoint the answer i would say it was um maybe something like colonialism because the colonizers are the ones that have typically the best health outcomes on everything and they're the ones that set the rules right so Mm -hmm. people like to say the system's broken but no but it was designed exactly how it was supposed to be designed Mm -hmm. so that's why it's working exactly how it was intended right what what they didn't anticipate hundreds of years ago is that populations would decide no there are human rights and all groups of people should be treated with dignity but the policies kind of didn't evolve with that right we have to be aware that there are people with a lot of power that have deliberately set up the system the way it is it's not like oh oh it's a bummer how we got how do we get here you have to the reason you have to get educated is to find out that a lot of the these things that are happening now were deliberate it's deliberate that there's segregated neighborhoods where You know, in this neighborhood, all the people look white, and in this neighborhood, all the people look black. There's a reason for that. It's not just, oh, I guess it just happens that way. There is policies in place that put people at a certain disadvantage, and it it wasn't just a happy accident. So that's why you kind of have to educate yourself. But, like Linda said, you can't stop at education. You then need to take the knowledge that you learn and pick an area that you want to see meaningful change in and go for it.
2: And which is why I believe so strongly in the social determinants, because it's it's a tool to help you unravel the existing condition and to see why it's that why it is that way. And you know, we have our biases about racialized populations, about people living in poverty, about people who are incarcerated. We all have them. But using this framework of social determinants, it helps you to like I said before, unravel or untangle those biases. So that we can then move forward. So, Gordon, you raised great points of how this is a whole systems issue. Um, but if we can look at how or why, you like you were saying, these systems were intentionally created. This is an important framework that's not often utilized, but it mm-hmm. helps to un like take apart these biases to then move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's it's maybe like. I would say public health's best kept secret, and it it needs to just go out into the public eye, into public discourse that, you know, these patterns we're seeing in society of certain populations experiencing worse health outcomes, and even in the case of COVID we saw, um, it's not a coincidence, and it's not inherent to the population. There are reasons for it. And so, yeah, I think we need to just keep pushing this social determinants and it'll help us to understand the problem to then move forward.
1: One of my takeaways from our discussion today is that, as we've seen, social determinants of health are often very much interrelated. Mm-hmm. And as a, as policymakers, you don't get to choose which one you want to focus on and addressing. Mm-hmm. You can't just can choose um, you know wanting to address specific ones if you want to address you know something like education or something like employment you need to look at the other, the other determinants that are related like mm-hmm. the in- like mm-hmm. the income disparity like like racism and things like that right
2: there aren't ever enough resources to focus on everything so in in politics anyway they have to just pick one thing and then you know promote that so I think we're kind of lucky in public health because we come from a lens that like health and all policies. So even Mm -hmm. if someone is only going to push just one, like you said, I think you had mentioned education. We know that, oh, actually, if you improve education, it can also lead to positive impacts in, you know, reducing homelessness, reducing other things. And so we can kind of leverage that.
3: The piece about allocation of resources, Linda, is very, very important. As much as maybe we can talk about something like, as I'm learning, defund the police apparently doesn't mean take all the money away from the police. I'm not sure why we call it defund the police then, but anyway. Basically what it is, is to kind of look at a lot of budgets in cities and municipalities and kind of restructure the way resources are allocated to kind of more appropriately fit the needs of communities. Instead of kind of focusing on super doubts downstream of funding the police, to kind of address issues when the crime has already taken place you know when someone commits a crime maybe they're 30 years old that crime was 30 years old in the making right this goes maybe they, single parent household father got killed poor housing no education right a lot of these things are uh, unfortunately very predictable not to say that it doesn't happen when there's no explanation it does but that's why health in all policy but also understanding that we have finite resources, and the challenge here is to kind of allocate them in such a way to kind of get the best of the limited pool of resources and funds that are available.
2: Right. But who makes those decisions? Exactly. We, and that's a whole other thing to explore.
3: So if you're a policymaker in a position of privilege, some of those the problems in the world might be less visible to you, such as poverty. So g- when you take that in mind, you're more inclined to kind of focus on policies that forward your own agenda without looking at what the, what the needs are of the communities that you're serving, because those people that you're serving maybe aren't even the ones that got you elected in the first place. So okay. today
1: we, we talked about recognizing the importance of the social determinants of health. Although income is widely recognized as the most important social determinant of health as it affects various other determinants, we argued that race and racism is even more important and regularly determines income. By looking at preliminary findings from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen how various social determinants of health can affect an individual's risk of infection and severe outcomes. Wrapping up our discussion, we would like to recognize the interrelated nature of the social determinants of health and warn against picking and choosing address them in a siloed approach
0: thank you for listening to the public health insight podcast your go-to space for informative conversations inspiring community action if you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date follow us on instagram facebook twitter and linkedin to learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com join the phi community and let's make public health viral